Hi, and welcome to episode 40 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Peter O'Doherty. If he doesn't have a paintbrush in his hand, it's likely he'll have a guitar because Peter is as much a musician and songwriter as he is a painter. It wasn't long after leaving high school that he filled in for a guitarist of his brother's band and never ended up leaving. That band was Mental As Anything, which ended up rocketing to fame in Australia in the late 70s and 80s. During those years, he taught himself to paint and that life immersed in making music and art continues till this day. Peter's paintings are mostly landscapes, many of them focusing on the man-made environment. Fibro houses, red brick apartment blocks, cityscapes, but he also paints still lifes, retro armchairs, a close-up of the washing up in the kitchen sink. His work's been recognised with awards, including the Paddington Art Prize, and he's exhibited in over 30 solo shows in Australia and New Zealand. But what I found most fascinating about our conversation were the parallels he drew between music and painting, which adds an extra dimension to how I view his work. His show, Somewhere to Live, opens on 27 February 2018 at Sydney's King Street Gallery, uh, the day after this podcast goes online. And all the works we talk about are on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Peter where he grew up. I was born in New Zealand, so I spent my first 10 years in New Zealand, um, and then my parents emigrated to, uh, to Sydney. Okay. And my mum was English, my dad was Irish, so they'd already been travelling the world and emigrated to New Zealand after the Second World War. Okay. And dad was a, a carpenter, and what happened was, I think New Zealand was, it was always like paper thin how the economy was, you know, either buoyant or in a slump. And I think there was a bit of a slump, late 60s, and he was about, well, around about 50 years old, mm. sort of looked upon as being an old older man to be a carpenter, so he was having, struggling to get work. Oh, so people right. said, go to, go to Australia, there's heaps of work. So, so when you came to Australia, what happened to you? Like, what did you, end up, you went to school, I take it? Well, yeah, you went to school, yeah. <laughs> I know it doesn't look like I did, <laughs> but people would be surprised that I actually f- finished high school, um, only just. When we first got here, we drove all the way up to, to Queensland, and oh, it was yeah. just too hot for my mum. Just couldn't could, couldn't take the heat, the, the sticky heat up there. Yeah. So they hightailed it straight back to Sydney, and I think they liked Sydney because it was very similar to Auckland in the sort of topography and the harbour and the North Shore and the mm. Harbour Bridge, and and they sort of I think they saw the North Shore and it probably reminded them more of Auckland. So okay, they were looking around there, and they ended up up at Avalon, way up at Avalon. Okay, which so, is like a beach suburb. So of a beach beach yeah. suburb. So for me, it was probably like you know it was pretty good luck in terms that I just landed in the sort of beach paradise. <laughs> I thought it was I'd landed in an episode of Flipper or something, and I was, <laughs> I was living the dream, you know. Oh, so it was a positive experience when you went to school. And yeah, well, no, so I loved it because I loved the, you know, I loved just take myself into the water and swim and yeah. you know, and hang yeah. around the, on the sand dunes, and yeah. well, I just loved all that stuff. Ah, so what about so as far as your music goes, were you at least playing a musical instrument or something? Yeah, I was playing guitar from the age of about 13, 14 onwards. Oh, okay. And my older brother was was, was playing guitar too, you know. Mm. So that was sort of a model for me. Was all you know that looks good you know he had electric guitar and it's like wow that I've got to do that you know yeah, I want one of those, those shiny guitars that's you know that really loud you know and I and I just thought the whole thing about rock and roll was so great you know the little switch went on when I was about thirteen and 
So, so you were in, so that was a, a pretty major thing in your yeah, life. Yeah, I think so. Age. And I look, I got distracted with you know all the distractions of being a teenager and stuff yeah. that goes with that. You know. So, so you say you did art at the end of high school. Yeah. Was that did that really grab you, or was it just something that you? Were no, sort of... I, I, in a way, I, I my interest in art and in music was sort of self propelled, and I and I loved things like the Dartists and, and, and you know, just sort of the Surrey list and all that, that kind of thing, looking at that thing and reading books about them and, and just looking at the work. And I liked what they stood for. And in a way, I was, I was probably, you know, I thought, oh, that's, that's the kind of rebelling. And it was. They were very rebellious yeah. against the awful situation of the First World War and, you know, what mm. had happened, you know, through that time. Mm. So, I, look, you know, I, but I loved that rebellious quality to what they were. Going, you know, waffling on about, you know, and, and like yeah. the work, and yeah. and I like Kurt Schwitters, you know, like you know, collecting you know rubbish off the streets and making art out of. It. I like those ideas of, of art. So, so in a way, I guess it was sort of like a contra- contrarian mm. view, you know. Mm. And, I, and I so I wasn't a great student at that stage, and I didn't really care to be. And I was just actually just enjoying the, the school for its social aspect, yeah. and, you know. And it was a nice place up at Avalon, Barangay High. You know, it was like a real surfy school. And, yeah, right. Oh, you so know. you were surfing at that point? Yeah, I was surfing a bit. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, all my mates were. You know, most of them were all surfers, much better surfers than I ever was. But yeah. you know, I was more of a <laughs> summer surfer. You know. So okay, so what did you do after after high school? What did you well, after high school, I, I was actually playing sort of jazz, and I was, I was trying to become a, a jazz musician. But okay. it's, again, again, I, I wasn't really training for any of this and a lot of jazz musicians would have gone to the conservatorium or something and, and really learnt you know their their craft so you and mean the, guitar yeah in, in yeah. guitar so yeah. I, you know so i didn't again i didn't really it was pretty much self-propelled you know and I'd been, mm. you know my brother had shown me some chords and i'd had some uh classical guitar lessons when i was about 14 for mm-hmm. about eight months and so all that stuff all you know it just all builds up and yeah so you were basically a musician after you I was a school. musician mm. and then and then uh, my brother's art school band mental as anything um, mm. I used to go and see them play and come into the city and you know and see yeah. and but by that time my parents had moved to Kirkwell they were always moving oh. at that stage I was I was a bit obstinate you know and I was refusing to change schools I didn't want to go to a boys school I just wanted to go keep going to my nice easy going relaxed you know school where there was the girls you know <laughs> yeah, right. I thought that was good you know, and I didn't. I didn't want to go to Manly Boys or Narrabeen Boys. The boys bit really bugged me. Right. Oh, so you were commuting like for yeah, quite I, I, far. I don't, to I don't get know there how either. my parents were able to sort of engineer that, but I, I was able to do that. So I commuted a lot, and I caught buses and missed buses, and did a lot of hitching through that period. Oh, I, you I were hitched, hitching to school. Oh, I hitched for, oh, for years. I hitched. I hitched the pub, and I hitched back at night, and I hitched in my. School uniform as a 14, 15 year old. And I was lucky I wasn't like murdered or. or yeah, I know. Well, these raped. days, God, nobody would do that, would they? Oh, look, I had a couple of hairy experiences. Have you? Know, you? Yeah. Like what? Oh, just, just guys, a... guys pulling out their, their you know, their, their wedding tackle and, you know, like pretty heavy. Oh, the, oh, but heavy right. stuff in the car. Yeah, you know, right. that, that happened when I got in another car once and there was a woman who was also a hitcher and, she, and she'd take all her clothes off and she was naked. It was at night. And. This, so, oh, some really. So she, there were two of you oh, as hitching. No, no, she was a separate one. She was. All, I, I just jumped in the back, and I, then I realised from the conversation that she was also hitching oh, and had, right. had been picked up. And so, you know, yeah. just really yeah. odd stuff. And guys who were speeding to the point where I thought I was going to die. Yeah, and guys right. off their trees, and you know. Yeah, didn't that stop you though? Like well, no, after a couple I of. Just, <laughs> I like you know you're so sort of stupid when you're that age, yeah, and you're feeling you're sort of bulletproof, and yeah. even after sort of really like a couple of hairy ones like that, I. I you know, it's just continue doing it.
So, so your brother, who is Reggie Mombasa, he was uh, he had started the band Mental as Anything. So uh, obviously, that's right. So, it was, uh, which is a was a very big band in the seventies and eighties. And um, it wasn't though at the time of the say nineteen seventy six seventy seven when I was just finishing high school in seventy six, and then the following year. Um, they were just they, they didn't even have a name for when I, I think when I first joined they still didn't have a name mm-hmm. might or they might have done but it was you know that was kind of affixed to them after they did one gig and they needed it was to have the name of the band on the poster you know at the, you know with, with other bands and there was all these sort of bands like the Mangrove Boogie Kings and Wasted Days and, and we were doing lots of gigs with those guys so right. mental as anything was just sort of was applied so that was so you joined in the very early days. I joined well. When Steve was... Coburn, who was John Coburn, the painter's son, he was the original bass player. They were all out of National Art School then, the East Sydney Tech, mm-hmm. and uh, he went away for a two-week holiday. And so I'd been. I used to go to the gigs and I'd sort of jam along on guitar sometimes. And so I, I just filled in on bass. I mean, I didn't play bass, but I picked it up and you know just worked out what to do. I thought, you know, <laughs> fudged my way through as yeah. I've been doing, you know, for years and years. And and still am. It doesn't sound like fudging to me. But it, anyway. it is. It is. I mean, that fudging is. But fudging can be good, you know. And and so I I did the two week sort of fill in, which then extended to to twenty two years. <laughs> So he never came back. Steve, Steve never came back. You know. Oh right. He probably feels in two minds about that. You know, because <laughs> you know we went on to start making records and yeah, and then we sure. all started writing songs and That's it was one of those things where once one of you know, Martin or my brother had started writing songs, so mm. then I started. I had a go, mm. and Greedy was in the band. He had a go. We were all having a go, and then you know, and then we put out a, you know, an EP and then a record came out, our first album in 79. So it just sort of snowballed. It sort of, we got on the radio and, you know, and we just kept on touring then and we got a manager. But back then there was live music in so many places mm. and bars and pubs and scout halls and town halls and you know, anywhere, backyards. What was, was it a, like? It was great. Well, it was good. It was pretty good time to be a young musician, you know. And, we, and when, once we started putting records out, we were touring and playing six nights a week. And, mm. we, and we put out a whole succession of records, one after another, for the first sort of six or seven years. And yeah. then, then we got into the sort of cumbersome, bigger corporate sort of end of the record business, which was not much fun, really. Why? Why not? Because the money gets bigger, the budgets are larger, the, you know, you have, you're bringing in overseas producers. And in the end, the, the end result is much patchier, and I, I actually found it much more unsatisfying and often a bit depressing because mm. early on we were just making these records really fast. We were sort of learning on the job. Some of the you know, they could be a bit sort of uneven, but they were interesting. You know, the first mm. four or five albums I think were, were really good, and then mm. and then it sort of there's a patch there where we had probably had our biggest hits, but it was also the, just the corporate expectations and the you know yeah. and, and all that money thing and and I, and I never liked that side of yeah. the business that much and I never really related to the people on that side of the people who ran the mm. business I you know I never particularly made any friendships in that part of the was there more world. pressure on you yeah like creatively probably, probably more pressure yeah there's more pressure because you know if you had a hit, you know a hit album they they expect you another one mm. so that often didn't you know didn't manifest itself Mm. And the mentors were, we were a sort of unruly, fairly sort of lackadaisical <laughs> bunch of art schoolers, really, you know, who, who drank too much. And, yeah, well, let's get on. Know. We probably should get on to the art side more. But so, uh, from what I understand, the other members of the band all went to art school, is that right? They all did, yeah. 
When did you start well, practicing art? I was always drawing. I since I was a kid, I'd never stopped sort of mucking around with coloured pencils and, and drawing and crayons. And but I never actually graduated to using paint. Probably that was partly because my big brother was a painter. Who had been to art school, did as a painter. He's also a musician, and I probably thought, oh, you know, I can't keep on just mm. emulating what he does. Really, wasn't until I got married and I was almost thirty. I was thirty, and um, my wife Sue, Susan, mm. who's who was a guest on the podcast, yeah, yes, who's a, who's a you know a painter yeah, and assemblage maker, and been true. on this on this very podcast. <laughs> um, she. She saw that I was drawing a lot. She saw the art that was going on. My brother was doing it, and the guys in the band did a bit, you know. We're, you know, and we'd had, we had had a two or three. Art, we'd had a couple of art shows with the Mentals, you know, like group shows, over those years. Yep, and yep. then we had a third one at the end of the nineties before I left. And then, um, uh, but by that time I was painting, and so Su- right. Susan just said, "Oh, like, you know, you should be yeah, just get some paint and, and do some painting." And she started when I did. We just got some drawing paper. Some, you know, some went to the art shop and got some brushes and got some tubes of acrylic paint and yeah. just started painting the two of us in our flat. That's, that's amazing. But, so you're basically both self-taught. So both self-taught. It was a bit like, you know, a little mini sort of arts yeah. class that we, that we ran together. And also because I was travelling a lot, so I got the chance to take my stuff on the road. So that, that actually, those last 10 years that I was with the mentals became much more... Um, I was a lot happier because I actually had something to do. Because mm. in, in a band, you know, you spend a lot of time hanging around yeah. in cars, waiting around in airports, hanging out with these guys, and you know, just killing time, you know, eating or whatever. Yeah. But then you have your one and a half hours on stage, and so it's a, a lot of time for for that one little, you know, little mm. compressed spot. And you can't of time. practice the whole time. No, you don't. And a lot of the time, you're just in cars. So you know, it's and you know, and being being rock and roll, it's easier to sort of, and you're in bars a lot. So it's really easy to sort of just you know, obviously imbibe too much yeah. in whatever you like. Yeah. So I can imagine how doing having something like painting and drawing happening. Have been really drawing was great. It meant I could go back to my motel room and not just sort of you know roll a joint and get and just get out of it and yeah. and drink too much. You know, yeah. which I you know. Had done, <laughs> and so what were you? So do you, when you're on the road and that sort of thing, what sort of things were you painting or draw? Well, drawing really. Oh uh, well, often little things like so I did a series of motel bins, you know, like the ah. little the, the waste paper basket, and, and just it's treating it like still life, I suppose. You know, just yeah. just little corner things or something that an item in the room or 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 the landscape outside. So yeah, you know, yeah. so I was t- just teaching myself how to do it. And, yeah. You know, were you were you um. Reading books on drawing and art or anything? No, or, I didn't. So no, it was never, really just look, experimenting. No, I've never been a, a very good academic kind of person. You know, I just think, oh, bugger, I just want to do it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I right. I can't stand reading about how to do it. Yeah, so even things like ultimately learning about colour, applying paint and all that was just all self-taught, just experimental. trial and error. Same as rock and roll. It's not like all the musicians I knew in all those bands, they didn't go to art to rock and roll school and learn no. how, to, how, to, you know, how to stitch you know, three or four or five chords together and make a song. You did it by using your ear you know, and listening to the stuff you loved and taking that in and then your brain you know, processes it and then you start writing songs yeah. and that's, then it's using words. And so there's not this, you know, it's... It's it's completely self-driven, yeah. and I've just done the same thing with art. So I, I you know, I just felt that like that was a natural way yeah. to do yeah. it, you know. So there were some group shows with 
the mentors. Yeah. So the first mentors art show was sort of early-ish 80s or mid-80s. Oh, okay. And so my things were just pencil drawings or with a bit of coloured pencil as well. So that's yeah. really that's what I was doing. Did you feel confident, like, as, a po- as compared to the others who had been no, to art school? No, not really. No, they were all painters and, you know, I could use different materials and mediums. I had no idea. I just, I just stuck to my pens. I was like a little kid, you know, just still just doing my little pencil drawings. And in a way, that's what I've done with painting is I've just stuck to... I got my acrylic paint and that. I worked out how to kind of use that. And yeah. I tried. We tried oil paint for a while in our flat early on, but we'd had our first baby. Declan was born in here as a toddler. Uh, oil paintings in a small flat with a little toddler that don't go well together because the oil paint doesn't dry. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't want yeah. little fingers in there. No, and so, so and the fumes and So everything. we ditched the oil paint, like, super quick. But I thought yeah. I do like, I really like the acrylics. I love the effects you can get with acrylics. It's different to, to oil. Yeah. But you can do lots of things with it. And you see some great indigenous art, you know, with oh, using brilliant. using um, acrylic, which is just incredible, magnificent, some of that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? Look, I think you can get more or less the same effects with oil as you can with acrylics. I, I th- Look, I think it's, it's, it's like any medium that you use it's like and I, I, I'll do the analogy with music it's like playing acoustic guitar or, or an electric guitar it just depends on what you want to do and what you're pre- presenting or what type of electric guitar or how you tune it There's, so mm. it's just using you know the means at your disposal yeah basically and then yeah, making exactly. it work and I, and I think limitations actually are quite good because I, I wasn't taught a whole you know a, a whole smorgasbord of different ways mm. of of making art, so in a way that's probably good, so I don't get too confused. It's a bit like, you know, like online, you have a choice of lots of things, too many things, so yeah. it's really hard to focus on, on and just stay focused. Yeah, I totally agree. You can be distracted and waste a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably with art, you know, there's a lot of people who do can turn their hand to a few things, but, you know, it's when you see someone who's really, you know, like homing in on one kind of thing with one material where you see some results happening. You really have to have something there, you know, to, to show. And you can see, you can see when the, the work is in in something that's that you respond to, you yeah, know, whether definitely. it's whether it's a good painting or a good a piece of music. And you know, look, I'm not saying it has to be sophisticated or really, you know, you know, overdone. It can be as simple as possible. But in a way, the more you do something, it, it gets easier to have those accidents accidents of simplicity, mm. which are hard to get. You know, if you try and get them, if you're, you know, you know, consciously trying to make that sort of stuff happen, it often looks really clumsy or very stiff or very forced. So when you say that um, to have those accidents, are they sort of things that you surprise yourself yeah, with? Yeah, well, I think I think it's the, the thing. If you just do it all the time, that's when those accidents happen where you where you're not prepared that, that mm. oh, where did that come from? Yeah. You know, it wasn't and it's and I still I keep on doing this with the music too. I use the music analogy. Because you pick up the guitar and you do a lot of stuff, you'll st- you'll start doing things that you didn't realise you could do, and and you know and, and again it doesn't have to be like uh, you know it doesn't have to be some sort of you know um, incredible virtuosic virtuosic sort of um, display. It just has to be something that can be as simple, but but simplicity is really hard to get and do beautifully, and that's why again say with some of the indigenous artists you see. You know, like a Rover Thomas, and it can look so simple, but mm. it's so beautiful. Exactly. So beautiful. That's right. And that's what he did. He probably did it over and over and over. So is that so? That simplicity is something you're striving for in your work. 
I think so. Or, or the, the effect of this, yeah, yeah. even if it's a fairly complicated or busy picture, you don't want it to look like it is. No, know? exactly. That's exactly right. You want it right. to feel like yeah. it just sort of is and that it, there was no real effort to get that. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you see the efforts, that's a bit clumsier. It's, I think if anybody has ever tried to copy like one of those artists that you think is really simple, yeah. <laughs> they'll know that it isn't impossible. No. Like no. somebody like, say, Rothko. Mm. I mean, you think, oh, yeah, that's just like a big yeah. colour. Yeah. But if you try and do that, it just doesn't no, work. No, he, he got know. that from doing a lot of painting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spending a lot of time yeah. at it, you know. Yeah. And I think that's it. You know, you just work your craft. And I think that really it, making art's like, it's a craft, you know. It's yeah. like making, it's like see my dad being a builder, you know. And that's, you don't get to be a good builder by just doing it a bit. You have to do it a lot. That's you don't right. get to be a good musician just by doing it a bit. You have to do it a lot. And even if you just just writing sort of simple folk songs or country songs, you still have to do a lot to get it to sound great or, you know, to have something that stands out from the pack and sounds a little bit um, authentic or genuine or, or reflective of you, you know, and your own signature. And I think that's the thing. I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, painting is dead or rock and roll is dead? You know, that's, you know it's an easy cliche, you know. How did you find, because in 91 you started your band Drog Trumpet with your mm. brother, how did you find that transition? Did you find that you were able to find that simplicity or that a, a bit better when it was you, you were on your own? Well, I, it was easier to be more artistic about it and have because you know, I had total control over it. I mean, being in the band was it was like having a five-way marriage. You know, you sort of, <laughs> yeah. you got to do a lot of compromising. Yeah, right. You know, to, to make things work, and we we did a lot of compromising. Because we stayed together for 22 years, the same lineup. That's, God, that's amazing. And that must be very rare. It's pretty rare. And look, you know, and as soon as I, we left, and then you know, the, the the original drummer left, and there was a bit, there was the dispute and problems, and then there was people filling in the, you know, our shoes, my, my shoes, my brother's shoes, and the drummer's shoes, mm. and, they, and they've changed a few times mm. since. And now there's only the one man yeah. standing still, the mentor. They still play, you know. That's Greedy Smith, isn't that's it? it? That's yeah, Greedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's pretty amazing, so, actually. So being in a band was all about compromise, but it's also a collaboration. It can be that, mm. and that sort of thing of you go out and you're playing live, so you have this social kind of interaction and an yeah. audience. It's great. It's a great thing. It's really dynamic and, yeah. and a, a lively thing. Do you find that that's quite a contrast to being a painter in a way? A total contrast. So when I got more into painting, I thought, oh, this is a real relief. From, from the rock and roll thing, you know, always spending, and also spending time with all these personalities and, you know, having to sit, you know, and we're all, you know, there's times of lots of friction at times, you know, that's just normal. So painting is great, you know, so it's just you and, and Susan and me, we've just done it, we've sort of always painted at home, so yeah. again, we feel a bit like hermits and we both feel a little <laughs> bit like outsiders to, to the world of, of the, most artists have been to art school and they come through that sort of educational you know, academic kind of filter, and that's good. I mean, you know, there's lots of really good artists who do that. You know, but but I, you know, there's there's. So you feel like the two. So do you think having Susan, like you both being at home and working together, uh, has helped your art? I think we're both good for each other, and that we bounce off each other, we influence each other, and Susan helps me a lot for colour because she's very bold and free with mm. colour, good with colour, very good colourist, and so that's helped me be free, much freer because yeah. I tend to be stayed and get, and get into my little safety thing and just use the same colours over and over and over. And yeah. so that really, really good for me, and I probably help her, you know, with other things about, you know, just compositional things and, you know, that I might throw in there because yeah. I got sort of, 
I think I've got an architectural eye, which is why I probably do a lot of architectural-based artwork, you mm-hmm. know, about houses and buildings and constructions and the human, the human, you know, the man-made world, woman-made as well, but, you know. So one of the most interesting things I think about these paintings, and we've got looking at a couple here now, is the cropping. Because you often crop into the image uh, or into the, the building and it can become more and more abstract the more you crop in. Yeah. And it becomes something different. It's like being a physicist, you know, you keep on getting smaller <laughs> and smaller. That's right, until you get to the atom. The, I'll, I'll have to have a show one at some stage and call it quark or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, how do you go about that, like with your cropping? Oh, I think it? It probably that's partly a sort of almost a cinematic thing in a way, because like, I, I, I like the way cinema is, like, like the moving image can look amazing and, you know, you see colours and tones and angles that are always moving and changing and then you, know, you see a good director will do things with, you know, with, with uh, you know, uh, close-ups or pulling back or strange angles. So I think that probably has seeped in, you know, just from being a kid and watching, you know, films like 2001, Kubrick, you know, and, you yeah, know incredible right. cinematography and things like that. Yeah, well, I was, I was talking to you before about uh, really liking the more the really abstract ones that you do. I mean, there's some mm. where you've zoomed in so far that they, they've become quite abstract pieces. Like there's one work that we're looking at now, it's called New Apartments. So we're looking like at, at sort of a, uh, an oblique view of sort of uh, balconies of a new apartment block. Mm. But it, it has basically become blocks of colour and shape. Yep. Is the, is the idea to try and simplify it down even more? Is that what you... <laughs> well, I guess so. You know, I, I yeah. could, I could, I'd like to take that sort of stuff more you know, further. And look, and I really do like, you know, like a, as far as influences go, I mean, I love people like, um, back to, say, Paul Clay and um, Mondrian, you know, who did, mm. was very much reduced, reduced everything around down to just, a, you know, grids. Mm. Um, but it's also probably a little bit musical too. There's something, there's something musical about the way... Those shapes sit together, and you know, in, in their harmony and dis, and discordance, and so dissonance. Dissonance, I think, is a really oh, interesting that's thing. Interesting. To get, you know, with 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 both shapes and colour. But you know, like I'll, I will paint, say, you know, the colours, the windows. Can I can struggle with them over and over and over. Well, and over. the windows we're looking at in this painting, which I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it, but it it's got it's got a very 3D sort of quality to it because you've got shadows as well, which I wanted to raise with you. I mean, mm. shadows are quite important with mm. these sort of paintings because mm. it gives it de- a lot of depth. Y- yeah, I guess so, and that's true. And you know, the shadows then form just part of the the compositional sort of element elemental blockage of, of how you block it out. You know, so yeah. it's almost like building blocks or something. You know, in it. Well, it's a really important part of it. But was it hard getting the shadow? Because I'm looking at these shadows that are reflect. You've got shadows going onto the blinds that have pulled down behind the windows, mm. and there's a different colour for each shadow because it's being it's reflecting on a different coloured surface. So that's slightly, quite, yeah. That's that's that I'm would actually, be quite I'm actually, tricky. Well, I'm actually colourblind too. No, I am. So I, I, you know, to to a fair fairly high degree that I mean, I can see that they're all totally different. I can get most of the I could name most of the colours, but. There's a few areas where I will think something is um, green and yeah. it'll be grey. Where Susan, this morning she said, I was looking at something and she said that's, 
I said, that's an aqua green. And she said, no, no, that's a grey. It's not, not aqua green at all. And then she put a, another colour here. This is aqua green here. Right. And I looked at the two of them. I thought, oh, they're so similar. Aren't they both aqua green? <laughs> But I see that the, so I see one's I see one's darker than the other, you know. Yeah, so I see tones. Yeah. But there's there's areas where, from lilacs to to greens to pinks, where I can get if they're all done in a fairly similar kind of tonal area, yeah. I, I have a lot of trouble naming okay. it. Okay. A lot of trouble. Well, the other thing that um... so I make a bad teacher. <laughs> well, the, te- the students probably get used to you, you know, when you say lilac. Well, you actually they'd be correcting me all the time. <laughs> Um, you know what else I find really interesting? Because we're looking at another painting um, of the, the laneway at the back of your house, actually, which is absolutely beautiful. And um, when, you, when we're talking about composition, I really think about your negative spaces, which is really interesting. Because, like, for example, that the, the, the shadow mm. versus the light area of the road, there's such distinct blocks of mm. colour, you know, and negative space. Mm. Um, is that something that... You think about, or is that just a natural thing that sort of? Oh no, I see that. I mean, I see that when I'm walking up that lane, and I, you know, and I'd be like, oh, those. I really like those shadows. Like the, you know, the way the sun's doing this, its yeah. thing at this time of the day. You know, so. It's amazing no, how I, some I, things just strike you that you just want to paint them. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Well, I mean, I was look. It, to me, it's pretty simple. I'm not really doing anything complicated. It's just looking at, you know, my little world. You know, it's a tiny little world I'm living. You know, my back lane, and a lot of these buildings are all in the sort of, you know. Just around Sydney, you know, it's not like yeah. A, it's a very Sydney show. This one, isn't it? It is probably more than other ones I've done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. can. I get that feeling I as well. Be, I mean, it's, I'm shrinking. You know, my, my <laughs> world is just going tighter and tighter in little tiny little circles, and eventually I'll just end up going down the plug hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of like most artists draw on their personal lives, don't they? Or the personal experience. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. I think I think you have to. I mean, what else have you got? You know, you, yeah. Who, who else's life are you going to? Do it. I mean, look, with songwriting, for instance, I think so much of songwriting and good songwriting is about you and your world and your experience and your, you know, your, your family history, whatever it might be that you, and, and I still plunder all of that for, to, to write songs. Yeah. And then you can write, write something that's a bit more abstracted and more gen, sort of generically bit poetic or something. So I sort of see that real kind of, there's a real parallel in, in doing artwork and Doing paintings and mm. and just trying to get that and you know and I guess it's like poetry or something. You're just trying to get things just to feel like well that's just a nice it's a nice sort of rhythm that's going on there. You know. Yeah, actually that's a good way of putting it. Actually, because when I look at that painting we're just talking about it, it does have a rhythm to it. It's so true. And I think musical artists are some of my favourites. You know, like like and and talking about Paul Clay before I mean he did he was a musician too oh, okay very good musician and right. he used to practice I think he was a, was a cellist I think he might have a cellist or a violinist he was very good apparently and played a lot every day yeah. and he did a lot of work about music and he did it in a very kind of analytical way and he would just did something astoundingly you know quite complicated pictures mm. about music mm. you know, like based on forms of, of notes and and melody and harmony and dissonance all thrown into the into the idea of a you know two-dimensional picture yeah. and another person who I saw recently who I thought was just great picking up on the musical um, notes that he was throwing into his art was was um, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat oh, yeah. who 
uh, was, you know, he died at 27, you know, in the 80s, so he was really in New York at the birth of hip-hop, so he was doing music, you know, he was in the band, and he was mm. not, not a great musician, but he loved it, and he had hip-hop sort of mates who were doing that stuff, and he also loved bebop jazz, you know, so he had a lot of his paintings referred to, say, Charlie Parker and Thelonious Monk and Dizzy Gillespie and, right. and, all, and all these bebop musicians who he absolutely, you know, idolised. And he was just a, he was a very interesting painter that he would throw, uh, I, think he, I don't think he went to art school, I think he, again, just sort of went off into the streets and started doing street art, you know, and, um, and then started doing stuff on whatever materials you could find and, you know, yeah. you know you'd paint on fridges or on bits of bar, you know, wood or doors or, yeah. or you know, and then, then he, he had success very quickly and I think the success was what killed him, you know, it was almost like a pop pop star, you know, he became mm. too popular too quickly. And, yeah. But when you look at his work, and it's, to me, we saw a great show of his in, in London in, in the end of 2017, and it was astounding, one of the best things I've seen. It covered his whole kind of career from being a sort of 17, 18-year-old to being dead at 27. Mm. But the musical, the, the, the musical kind of um, uh, way he had of painting was, it was just in there, you know, using colour, dissonance, th uh, improvisation, you know, because yeah. it was just a lot of it was, looks like it was just thrown together. But he would throw together so many things and then make them work, yeah. you know. Well, and you must have been able to see that more oh, than other people because of cause I of loved it. I loved that yeah. musical thing. And I, yeah. I, I love bebop jazz too, you know, yeah. as well. So I could really relate to that. And I was in New York with Mendel Zinting in the early mm. 80s. And so I was there when you know, like Grandmaster Flash oh, and, and the Furious Five were, were, were first releasing albums. And what was that like? It was really pretty, pretty interesting, pretty exciting. You didn't realise at the time that this was, that was actually quite a pivotal time. And there's all these sort of break dances out on the streets oh, and, yeah. and New York was still pretty, pretty wild and unruly and Times Square was, you know, like could be, you know, could be pretty uh, interesting, you know. Yeah, right. And drug dealers were everywhere, and, and it was, but it was great. <laughs> we had a great time, wasn't it? So that must have been like, did you feel like you were living the rock and roll life sort of a thing back well, then? I was living the rock and roll <laughs> life, Maria. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> was Susan around there? Haven't, haven't you ever read any rock and roll? <laughs> I'm just wondering if it's true. I'm, I'm actually speaking to oh, somebody who actually yeah, lived I, it. I, Look, yeah, cool. We're all young, and you know, and we were out there having fun, and you know, it's um, it was, it could be pretty exhilarating, it could be really exhausting, it could be really pretty dangerous at times, yeah, and but also creatively really great. Well, what is your day like? Like, say, so do you pick up the guitar um, every day? Not every day, but I try, you know. And there's times when I might not pick it up much at all, and then I start to get depressed, and I'm thinking, well, why am I feeling sort of flat? It's because I haven't played my guitar, you know. And yeah. It definitely makes me feel more buoyant. And so do you find you're often composing songs in your head or yeah. so, yeah, often? Oh, yeah, I spend hours every night in the middle of the night, say three or four o'clock, you know, trying not to, to keep working on difficult songs where I can't get that next line. Because it's lyric, you're also writing lyrics, you know, so it's not yeah. just the music, it's the lyrics, which are very important too. So in the middle of the night will be a time that your mind is active oh, in that know, way? I'm t oh, yeah, I just can't seem to shut it down. It's really, it's really annoying. <laughs> but I think maybe, isn't there something to do with you get to a certain age and it's harder to, to sleep? I know a lot of people don't sleep yeah. well. Yeah, no, I think that is true, actually. Yeah, you know? I think that's true. Yeah. But at least you're thinking about that. That's a good thing to think about. Oh, I think, I think in the middle of the night of, rather than, you know. I think about lots of crap, but that's just one of the things I can think about. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, think about art and think about music. Think about, yeah. I think it's good to have, like, because those awful hours when you wake up in the middle of the night and something really dreadful comes in your mind, that's good that you've got music, that you can switch that off and yeah. put the music in instead. Well, well even painting. I, I suppose it's good, but it's, it's like, why can't I just leave it to the, you know, the, to the practical daylight hours when I can actually, <laughs> you know, do something about it? But, but, but you yeah. know, and then every now and then you do come up with something in the middle of the night and I get up and write down some, some, oh, do some words or something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So do you find, you probably get this, asked this all the time, do, do you get the lyrics or the music come first? Most of the time the music, uh, which, is, which is hard because then you find that if I've got a melody and some chords and I think, oh, that's pretty good, you know. But the melody then dictates the phrasing and what kind of words can fit into that, the sweep of the, of the, of the, and the rhythm of the, the, of the, of the singing. Yeah. Um, and that's really hard. It's really hard to get the, the right words then to, and sometimes I'll, have, I'll come up with a couple of lines, I think they're really good lines, that's a good, they're good words, you know. And, Mm. And they've got start to get, the song starts to take shape, and it might be about something, or it might be just sort of more a poetic response to something. But yeah. but it's just how to finish them. I've got a lot of unfinished songs in my head. Oh, do you? Mm. Do you write? But you write them down. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I write the words down, you know. But I've got a lot of unfinished yeah, words written, yeah. you know, in pages in my. Well, that in a way you want that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And again, it's like you have to to get a song. You've got to do a, a lot of that stuff, you know. Mm. All the unfinished ones there as well mm. to get the couple of the finished ones. Well, it's like painting, I suppose. Yeah, and sometimes a song can take a year or two to actually finish itself, and other times, while I've got two or three like that sitting there, uncaught, you know, struggling to finish them, or even get over halfway point, and uh, a new song will come, and I'll write the whole thing in two days, you know, and then it's like, oh, oh that, that was quick. Right. Why can't I do that again? <laughs> and as the same with painting, it's like, oh, why can't I just you do a successful painting? Then, well, I want to do another one in a similar kind of vein to that, and the next one may not work out nearly so easy as the first one. Isn't that funny? And that can be, and then you can struggle, yeah, struggle. I've done, yeah. do things sometimes where you struggle for days and, and you stubbornly keep hacking away at something, thinking I've, I've put, I've invested so much time in it, I've got to keep going. And then the end, you know, you, you're just better off to just, oh, you know, many a time it's just white, white it all out again with some yeah. primer. And just well, I get think sometimes that's better but to better, do that. You know, free yourself. You, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for having me here today. I have just enjoyed seeing all these beautiful works before they get carted off to um, King Street Gallery. And good luck with the show, which is coming, which will be opening the day after this podcast goes on air. Oh, right. So well, I'm, everyone should go and see it. Well, that's good. Tight timing. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Peter O'Doherty, amazing musician and artist. You can also hear interviews on Talking with Painters with Susan O'Doherty and Reg Mombasa, who we mentioned in the interview. I'll also be getting a short video of Pete in his studio on the Talking with Painters YouTube channel soon, so watch out for that. I'll mention it in um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Also, one last thing, the Australian Podcast Awards is being judged over the next few weeks. And lots of podcasters have entered, including me. And there's a popular vote section as well as a judged section. Uh, so if you feel like voting in the popular vote, just search Australian Podcast Awards and um, their website's pretty easy to find. Thanks for all your messages of support in relation to that on social media. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. There's a form to music when you're writing with, you know, verse, chorus, bridge. 
<laughs> you know, that, I mean, yeah. to break it down, it's really an elemental thing. And it's not like there's any formula to how you put those things together. And you may have a song that doesn't even have a chorus, but, you know, in, in traditional terms. And so it's the same with painting, you know, you can have a thing where it's got the sort of nice subject and you can see what it is, or it can be more just background or just yeah. a sort of, a, or just a small part of the thing that you weren't even looking at originally that, mm. that makes the thing work.